You ever carried a balance on a credit card? Yes? Okay, shut it down. You are a debtaholic. You are paying a bank 20% freaking interest on, on money. You have a problem. And, and the sooner you admit it to yourself and get off that crap, like I'm telling you, I don't know a single successful person that carries credit card debt. Not one. Credit card debt is what very, very, very rich corporations use to get you to pay them 20% interest. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your host, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you again and looking forward to a great show today. We have none other than Tom Howard joining us today. He's going to be talking about budgeting and a lot of other great financial tips and advice for you. This is going to be both personal and a business type episode. So whether you're a tech, whether you're a business owner or somewhere in between, there's going to be something for you. And we're looking to great content from Tom. Right now, though, we're going to have a little bit of an introduction ourselves, and we're going to look to Brian to start us off with a great quote. I never wanted to be a product of my environment. I wanted my environment to be a product of me. Frank Costello, made famous by the movie The Departed. All right. It was, I, Jack, I, it was a Martin Scorsese movie and Jack Nicholson played Frank Costello. I like the quote. I, uh, I do not subscribe to the victimhood mentality. I do not. Well, you're not wasting no days in subscribing to victimhood mentality. That's true. You're subscribing to there's a rock or a hill. I have to go climb it. Who cares who put it there? We got crap to do. Right. Let's go. Right. Uh, and that was a actually a crime lord who said that, who was also working for the FBI. But I'll, the, I think the movie opened with that quote, The Departed. Great movie, man. You got to check it out if you haven't seen it. And um, this is exactly what this what this podcast is about. Like setting a budget is the least fun thing you're going to do in a, bid, a business. Well, not for you because you're a nerd, but for me <laughs> and all the other cool people listening. You know the plumbers. <laughs> you you um, whether we're talking about your home budget, your personal life, or your or a business, or even like here's how much revenue I want to do out of my truck this year. Here's how much I have to do a month, a week, a day per call, however you want to set that up. It, it takes a lot of work, but a business budget is <clears throat> grueling, but is the way that you control your environment and not be controlled by your environment. Yeah, it's well said, Brian. And especially as you know, there's been a lot of upheaval in what we've known to be the traditional path of our financials and what we can expect out of any given month or out of you know January of the last three years or Q1 of the last five years, whatever you might want to say. And so there's met no better time than now to really be diving in and understanding, predicting, forecasting, using some best guesses, some historical data and your gut and intuition to figure out 
what exactly should we be focusing on doing this year? Hey, I got to have dinner last night with three former guests of the podcast and their wives at the same time. Oh, let me guess. Uh, Tim Kennedy, um, uh, the Black Swan Chris guy, Voss. of course, Chris Voss, and, uh, well, of course, yourself. So you've been a and, guest as well. And another one. And another one. Sorry. And another, four. And another, including me, four. Uh, uh, Mike Vavrick. <laughs> well, you were with Mike in Pennsylvania yesterday, so you know that's not the case. I didn't know if he flew out or not, but okay. So it was Andrew Dobbins, who was who owns uh, Intelligent Design in Tucson. Oh, nice. And um, he did the shop, uh, Stop Shopping Out of Your Own Wallet episode. Mm, love that one. That was a great episode. And then Mike Brewer, who I work with out here, of course, and he did the Legacy was it legacy money? I think that's right. Two parter about uh, largest legacy plumbing business company versus. In Arizona. Oh, that's right. It was called like uh, largest plumbing contractor in history of Arizona, but his main topic was legacy business versus le- legacy money. And then uh, the sales boss himself, my man, oh, yeah, great friends with uh, Mister John Jonathan Wisman. I, I enjoy every minute I get to spend with all three of these guys. Uh, we had dinner last night. And then uh, Mr. Dobbins came and trained my team today for our Wiser Wednesday, and uh, Jonathan Wisman joined us, and so it was like it was a super fun packed last two days. And you're sitting around with guys who own and have owned massive businesses, and uh, much like being on an episode with Tom Howard, as you're going to see here shortly, I don't talk a whole lot. <laughs> no, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm just sitting back like. Everybody here is more successful than me, and I'm just going to sit back and take some notes and uh, think through everything that's being said. And I throw comments in there, but it's really to steer the conversation oftentimes to where I want a little more info. Turns out this is going to be one of our highest downloaded episodes. Do you think that's causation or correlation there, Brian? The less talking. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, uh, great time with those guys. I wanted to give them a shout out. Thank them for coming to our shop here in Phoenix. And um, this is going to be a pretty high-level episode because Tom Howard is a brilliant guy, man, and he's a a business strategist. And I was at the Home Service Freedom event. Uh, He did a a two-day talk on budgeting and actually walked everyone who's part of Tommy Mello's Home Service Freedom Group through building their budgets on their laptop right there, which was just like, Wow. And I got an hour to uh, do some sales training just to break up the <laughs> roarous fun and laughter of building budgets <laughs> for two days. <laughs> but I had a great time. But one thing I noticed was Tom's very intelligent and uh, he's he can be funny, but that's not his aim, you know, and he's very high level. He's not he's not talking necessarily on the tech level. So I assume and expect that this episode will be much more of that, although we are going to try to steer it toward a personal budgeting uh, angle, right? Yeah. So I thought it would be good to do a little bit of objections role play with a new uh, rebuttal slash close that I've been working on since June of 2023. And I actually finished this rebuttal slash close, whatever you want to call it, for uh, just here in in January of 2024. Because I was going on Andy Elliott's podcast and I said, man, 
I need to have something fresh. You know, I mean, I have a lot of closes and rebuttals. And the reason they had me on the show uh, was because one of his guys heard the seven deadly objections episode and loved it. And I guess that's, you know, why I got the invite. So I thought <clears throat> I'll have my new clothes ready, you know, in case I get, uh, I get to do some role playing of my own stuff. And I never got that opportunity because <laughs> my man, Andy does some talking. <laughs> no, nah. I've ever watched any YouTube videos, but, uh, and let me tell you something. I don't think there's a better closer in the world right now. I don't think there's a, a better objection overcomer in the world. And if he's going to talk just like dinner last night, just like Tom here shortly, I am just going to listen and take all the notes I can possibly take. And, um, yeah, just work through the stuff in my head and, and see where I can apply this stuff. Cause you know, I'm just not on these guys level. So if they're talking, I'm going to be quiet. So I thought it would be a good idea to roll it out today on this intro, on this episode. Ooh, breaking so, news. Not going to be a whole lot of uh, sales talk for sure on uh, Tom Howard episode, but we can do that now, buddy. Let's go. So this I've, I've, uh, working title, I should say that I've called for now is the reverse engineering close. So hit me with. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Nate. And like I said, I have this water treatment system in my truck. It's got the whole home filtration system with the whole home water conditioning softening system. And then the under the sink purification system, that's going to treat the little spout coming off your sink with purified water. And then we're going to get that line run over to your ice maker in your fridge. So that's purified water coming out of there and your ice cubes. You aren't going to believe these ice cubes, man. They're going to be crystal clear. Got it on the truck right now. If you want, I can throw it in. I bet you I have your water back on by three. Does that sound good? That does sound great there, Brian, but uh, I'm still not quite sure about the price there. Um, I know you talked about financing, but I'll, I'll be straight with you, man. I've never been a believer in financing. I'm the type of guy who's like, if you don't have the money for it, don't buy it. And uh, unfortunately right now, I'm just at a place where I don't have the money for it. So the, the 160 a month, the monthly is just something you don't want to tie yourself yeah, down to. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm financing adverse, like I said. So is I'm, there a I'm time a, you see yourself having that money? Um, well, I mean, it, it, we are if I'm being blatant with you, we are coming up here on tax season and my family and I usually do get a decent, decent refund for that. Is this something you see yourself doing at that point? Uh, it would be on the list of considerations, but yeah, I would, I would say we lean towards it probably at that point. All right. Do me a favor. Play a little game with me. Will you, will you take a little imagination journey with me for a quick sec? Sure. All right. This is where the reverse engineering comes in. Let's say you already have this system. You have very clean filtered water throughout the home. You have the, the softened water throughout the home. Your shower doors are clear without the squeegee. Your dishes come out clear. Your towels and clothes and, and your wife and daughter's hair are very soft. Her hair treatments are lasting two to three times longer because they're not getting beat down with chlorine and the minerals in the hard water skin. Everybody's skin feels better. The eczema is clearing up from all the chlorine. You're not breathing that stuff in anymore. Like all these things we talked about, the water is purified at the ice maker. All these chemicals, the chlorine, chloramines, ammonia, arsenic out here in Phoenix, the, um, 
uh, trihalomethanes, TTHMs, that are cancer-causing agents left in the water by when chlorine sterilizes these organics. All this stuff that I showed you, it's all gone right here, right? And I come knocking on the door. Hey, Nate, I'm Brian. I'm from the city of Phoenix. I got a deal for you, buddy. Okay. I am going to dump a whole bunch of chemicals into your tap water and your drinking water, right? Chlorine, chloramines, uh, trihalomethanes, cancer-causing agents, uh, probably six or seven more. I can't think of arsenic for sure is going in there. Chloroform is in most, most municipal waters now. Fluoride, which is just straight up poison. No, no acceptable drinking amount of fluoride is safe. And we're going to put that in the water too. All right. But for your troubles, I'm going to give you $7 a day. Uh, I would say you're crazy. You wouldn't take $40 a week, 160 bucks a month for all those chemicals to go in your clean water. I wouldn't take any amount of money for that, Brian. Why not? I mean, as you described it there in the thought journey, um, you know, that's, that's a stark image of, of the chemicals being put in to harm my family. I'm about protecting my family. So I would just kind of extend my hand a bit, nod slightly up and down, smile and say, why don't you let me go ahead and take care of this for you for 40 bucks a week? Mm, I like it, man. That's good. The reverse engineering clothes and that you can reverse anything we're talking about. I, I really feel like this is, can you reach my back through the iPad and pat me? I'm, like, <laughs> I'm really sore right now. Yeah. I'll send uh, Amelia a text. It is. It's the, one of the best closes I've, I've heard in a long time. And, and unfortunately because of the move from Pennsylvania to Phoenix, I stopped in the middle of like building it and putting it all together. And all these little details of the things that I said are all thought about and thought through and written down and scratched out and redone. And every single thing that I say has the purpose, like probably the biggest part of that is when I say, so you wouldn't take that deal. And you said, there's no amount of money that I would pay for that. And one of the most important parts of the close is when I said, why not? Right. Because what do you do? I justify where my heart has already gone with my mind. Sir, you just start selling me on selling you. And that is, you can, this is one of those cases where you can take the word sale out of it and use this with anything. Use it with IEQ, use it with a new panel, um, use it with certainly um, uh, surge protection, all these things. You, you list out backwards now. You already have all this. This is already done. I'm going to come and offer you the same amount of money. Now you're talking monthly when you're presenting it, but when you're going to give it back, now it's time to talk daily. Six bucks a day. 40 bucks a month. You won't take that to put all these chemicals. You know what I mean? That's you won't good, take bro. that to remove the protection that your home has from lightning strikes and surges. Why not? Yeah, every, every once in a while, Brian, you do come up with some things. Brilliant. <laughs> Thanks buddy. <laughs> it's been twice now since we started this thing. Right? <laughs> uh, so I've, I've rolled it out here with my team in Phoenix and we've, we've uh, locked up some pretty significant jobs as a result and um, gave, actually gave it to one or two of your techs there in Pennsylvania. Um, and I'm, I don't know. I didn't check back. Uh, I know I had heard. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to check tomorrow. But this is a 
this is a significant close. Here's the deal. You're not going to be that smooth. Don't rush out. You're on your way to your client's house now. I get it. And you're excited. I hope you are. Because if you're not, you and I, you and I ain't built from the same stuff. Because, man, when <laughs> I finished that thing and I read it out loud, I was like, oh, my God, why can't I be in a truck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but don't roll out and just go do it to your client right now. You have to role play it. Right. You have to get in front of your team, in front of other techs, and role play it. And people don't, people are a little overly confident of what they're going to be able to do. One, remember, we're very confident in what we're going to remember, and it just doesn't work. Pastor once told me, actually in rehab, uh, a short pencil beats a long memory every time. Yep. You're not going to be able to remember this correctly unless you take this snippet, send it to some people on your team, say, listen to this intro quick, and everybody take down what ca- what you can recall of it. Get to your shop in the morning and say, I don't care if you got to get there early. You should be anyway to, if you're serious about your career, getting there early and, and practicing and role playing anyway, and go back and forth until the person that you're role playing with says, man, you got this. Then go try it on the client. Because the worst thing is, is if you go, if you go do it just half-hearted and not really uh, memorized and, it, and you fail miserably and the client's like, what are you, what are you, a wise guy? Like, what kind of stupid thing is this? You'll never do it again, but you didn't give it its full due because you did it wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. I love it. It's good advice and uh, excellent close. Well done. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Got another one I'm working on. The proud wife close. Well, let's not Woo. reveal all the secrets on this one episode. Blue steel. Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, let's talk about uh, some other things here that are magnum and awesome, and that is the people who take their time to give us a review. So, Brian, I did say that I would front load anybody who has what? included Little Chirp in their reviews. No, we had that's anybody. That's not, not what you person. said. You said you would front load any reviews where somebody was bashing me and putting me in my place. Even better. I'm more happy about that. <laughs> is there somebody there who is taking uh, Let me take a look here. All I can see is like, why do you keep Nate on the show? Really? Why is he still here? Uh, you should stop calling this guy. You should be friends. I don't know. There's really nothing like Little Chirp. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> but we do have a nice review from a wonderful listener who looks like he's had some serious impact on his career by listening to this show. Let's go. Five stars. This podcast has doubled my annual income. Hmm. Let's take like a three Mississippi there. All right. Listening to guys talk on a truck stereo has doubled someone's annual income. It's for Bro. your plum- plumbers out there. That's times two. <laughs> for your uh, <laughs> marketing managers out there. That's forty to eighty thousand a year. <laughs> um, this podcast has doubled my annual income, bro. Three years ago, it's three years this month we've been running the show. If I told you we were going to be getting reviews where people that we've never met in other states, oftentimes other countries, 
are telling us they doubled their annual income. Would you believe me? No, it, it's it's actually fairly surreal for me. Like I don't, I don't really think of it as reality. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't because of how excited you are to get on here every time. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously considering moving to Phoenix to work under Brian. Don't tell Fitz. <laughs> if one hour a week has doubled my income, I can't imagine what a week's worth of knowledge would do. Danny the, 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 V 89. <laughs> well, Danny V 89 there, believe me, I've spent more than an hour with Brian for a long time. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a law of diminishing returns that ends up in <laughs> place. <there>. Income <laughs> has doubled so many times <laughs> under my tutelage. <laughs> cool. No, we, we appreciate you, Danny. Yeah, that yeah, was awesome. Good. I wonder if he's talking about fits in Vegas. Ryan Fitzgerald. Um, yeah. I don't either. Right, cool. Shout out to Ryan though. Uh, yeah. Appreciate you, Danny. That's awesome that you took the time to tell us that I love, I don't, I, I don't even have the words for it. The fact that we've, there's a guy out there we haven't met whose income's doubled by listening to the show. That's just, uh, that's something else. Truly humbling. We appreciate it. And let me tell you who Wait, else you appreciate. I'm not humbled. Oh, My head's well. swole. Are you kidding? <laughs> You're humbled. Okay. <laughs> Well, let me tell you about somebody who you are going to appreciate besides listening to Danny. Uh, give us some shout outs there. And that's Mr. Tom Howard. And it's time to put him in your passenger seat. Our guest today is Tom Howard. He started in the industry when he was 15 years old. His first job was sweeping floors and cleaning trucks for an AC company that was a few miles from his house. He worked his way up to installer and then service tech and then salesperson and then started working in the office before heading to college. He has a degree in finance from Brigham Young University and he bought his first company a couple of years after he got out of college and now owns or is partners in eight different companies. His main company, Lee's Air, out of Fresno, California, is on track for $45 million in revenue in 2024. He also works full-time for Service Titan as Vice President of Customer Experience. He advises on what products to build and represents the voice of the contractor in that industry. Tom has four sons and lives in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we're going to have a great conversation with him. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, thanks, Nate. Glad to be here. Welcome, buddy. Good to see you again. Or I guess in our thanks guest you. case, hear you, but I can see you and it's good to see you again. You too, Brian. Tom <laughs> and I got to sh uh, um, see meet each other for the first time at Home Service Freedom, uh, the Tommy Mello's event in Scottsdale. Uh, I don't know, yeah. November, whatever that was. Yeah, we had a we fun time. At, yeah, hung out at Tommy's a little bit afterwards and I got to sit through a good portion of at least the first day of Tom's um, budgeting course for businesses, like setting your budget for the year. But also there was some, I mean, there was some like chart of account stuff sprinkled in there and Megan Likes was there and it was a, it was eye opening for me and everybody in there, everybody I talked to was just like, wow, this is, uh, is going to change the scope of my business. And before I even heard all that, I was like, I want to have Tom Howard on the show, obviously. 
but with all that, yeah. um, I think it just honestly, it's one of the first stepping stones when people are getting into business, they, they lose track of what's really necessary. Um, a lot of people that are getting in there, they're, they're starting out as technicians. They might be plumbers, air conditioning techs, whatever that get some, um, whiff of entrepreneurship and want to go out on their own. And it's, uh, you know, I hear all the time, I see people talking all the time on these uh, Facebook groups and everything else talking about how I'm going to be the best tech. I'm going to, have, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to have the best techs and we're going to, we're going to be the best at this, the best at that. And I, I kind of laugh because I tell them, I say, hey, look, what, what's the most successful burger chain in the world? And they, they're like, oh, <laughs> uh, McDonald's. I'm like, is it because they have the best chefs, the best cheeseburgers? Do they? Do the have you had a... Have you had a Big Mac with no onions, Tom? Because you don't sound like you have. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've had a lot better burgers at a lot of other places. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is that you can find these amazing steakhouses and amazing burger joints, but they're not, none of them are successful as McDonald's. Why? Because McDonald's has better processes, better procedures, better plans, better budgets, better forecasts, better everything. Running your business has nothing to do with being a great tech. Zero. You got to drop that out of your head. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a great, like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Great steakhouse, great mm. chain, makes a lot of money. Delicious. Amazing food, delicious food, way higher level, in my opinion, than McDonald's. Don't touch it. And they the charge accordingly. And that's fine. But Ruth's Chris got ahead, not by having the best chefs and not by having the best steaks or anything else. They decided that they're going to have that level. They pushed for that. But the thing that drove them higher than the other, you know, one-off steakhouses that are like artisan steakhouses that Ruth's Chris had better, better forecasting, better budgets, better processes, better procedures, and focused on being business professionals. I mean, I can, I can go on and on. Hotels, you know, look at Ritz Carlton. They got really good at their procedures and training their staff and everything else. And then you've also got Holiday Inn, both very successful hotels. There's just two different levels of market, but both of them, are successful and both of them focus on their business and building their business and um, not, I mean, look at all the tech groups. I mean, there's tons of them on Facebook. They're arguing about, you know, what are the best gauges to use on your air conditioning system? What, what's the best sewer camera to have? Blah, blah, blah. The reality is that doesn't matter and you should not be spending any more than 30 seconds of your day thinking about which sewer camera to buy. Like it doesn't matter that much as long as it's good enough it's going to get in there and then you're going to consistently do things over and over and over again the same and build your business in the way it makes sense that and run a business when i started my air conditioning business well when i bought my first air conditioning business i couldn't even fix an air conditioner yes i was technically a tech i was a maintenance tech i could install but the reality is i had people in place that could fix them and i they could i could trust them and people say oh yeah well then you're not you're not great because you didn't know how to fix them okay great i'm going to cry about it all the way <laughs> Like I don't, uh, whatever. It's a great like, argument. Yeah, like you can you can keep yelling at me and while you're making 50 grand a year about how you're the best tech in the freaking world, mm -hmm. enjoy yourself and, and that thing. But the reality is it's like me trusting that, I had, I had a really solid tech on my team. I had a couple of them. One of them's still there, he's been there 25 years. He makes hundreds of thousands of dollars a year now. He makes a lot more now than he made before because we have a better company with better procedures, better processes higher profit that can afford to pay their people more. And that's what matters. So he's happy, I'm happy, everybody's making more money and people are doing what the best they can in their spot. So if you're 
if you're on this podcast and you're a technician or a plumber, or air conditioning technician or a plumber, or I don't care if you're doing electrical work, um, start by learning all about, I'd be reading business books one at a time, picking up those procedures, picking up all that stuff. So when you do go out, if you do go out on your own, you know, you've got those things in place that you start going at. And then honestly, once you start doing that and you do get out on your own, go to every shop that allows you in. I used to fly to all over the country. I barely had any money, barely had, barely had any profit. And I was running around to everywhere that would let me in and just watching what they did and like watching them build their business and how they ran their stuff, their systems. So it's getting a anyway. little more tough for that now with the PE groups buying everything up and then wanting to keep their quote unquote secret sauce to themselves. Oh yeah. I mean, it's still easy. There's, there's probably 10,000 air conditioning shops in, in the country that are over 10 million in revenue that'll let you in that are, I think there's that, that many in Phoenix over. here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's the crazy thing is in, um, in Vegas, there's 1700 air conditioning and plumbing shops on record and that's just one wow. with licenses. That's yeah. And I was so, going to say there's three or four times that, that don't have licenses or pull permits. Yeah. So, I mean, the funny thing is like, oh, I need to be my competitor. I need to, be, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to push them out. It's like, guys, there's so much business here. It's, it's unreal. That's just in Las Vegas. There's two and a half million people in population. And the thing is, there, now the truth is there's only a few that are over 10 million in revenue. But, you know, there's 1,700 total on record. So, I mean, go ahead, Nate. Well, great intro there, Tom. And before we get too deep into the conversation here, it'd be nice for our listeners to learn a little bit more about you and your story. So yeah. let's, uh, let's hear about how you even got into the trades. You mentioned there a little bit about your starting place, but maybe go a little bit deeper and tell us exactly what that journey was like and then where you are today. Yeah, I, um, I was 15 years old and my mom told me I had to get a job uh, as soon as I could get a work permit. And that in the state of New Hampshire is when you turn 15, you can get one. And um, so a guy was coming over to fix my fridge and uh, not, not fix the fridge, but hook up a water line. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, uh, I asked him for a job and he said I could. And so I, I started sweeping floors and cleaning trucks and that kind of stuff. And um, it was a air conditioning shop. It was a few miles away. I used to ride my bike after school to go clean floors. Um, anyway, that led to eventually um, I went to HVAC school in high school. They had a Votech program there and um, that was cool. Did that for two years. And then I, while I was doing that, I was becoming an installer, then a service tech, then sales, and then working back office. And then eventually I went to college for finance and then got out. And a few years after college, I, um, uh, when I was 27, I bought my first air conditioning shop in uh, Fresno, California called Lee's Air. Oh, fantastic. How big was the shop when you purchased it? It's, uh, that particular shop was 1.6 million in revenue the year before I purchased it. Um, the, um, revenue this year at that particular shop is, should be about 44 to 45 million. Um, and then I've got shops from Sacramento, Fresno, Visalia, Beverly Hills, San Diego. Um, I got a pest control company in Fresno as well. I got, I got a plumbing shop in Melbourne, Australia. Um, we're at core hydraulics down in Texas. So there's a lot of different shops now, but the one that I own almost 100% of is, um, I, I give some, I'm giving some, uh, equity some, to some employees, but I own almost all of the one in Fresno that should do about 45 million in revenue this year. Nice. Excellent. How does the, how does the Australia thing happen? 
<laughs> yeah. It um it was a distressed business. It's forty it was forty three million in revenue. They had some um hard times coming up and I had a friend down there that uh owned a shop in Sydney. Um and he called myself and Tommy Mello from A1 Garage Door. And Tommy and I are good friends and so we decided to go invest together. And um so we went down to Australia and bought, uh, I think 20% each or 25% each. So we got about half of it. And um, our partner down there bought shares and we have some, a few other people that bought some and um, we are flipping it. Wow. Oh, it's pretty good. Um, it's, you know, it's going where it needs to go. Um, we check the financials each month and start, um, you know, growing towards our budget and it'll be a solid year and a half, maybe before we're, you know, really rocking and rolling with uh, the profit that we want, <clears throat> but it was losing, I think a million dollars a month when we got it. So yeah, it was, I think it lost a hundred grand last month. So, you know, it's, yeah, people think I'm crazy when I do that stuff, but you know, same thing happened in Vegas. We, you know, I got a few companies out here and got some great partners that really knew what they were doing. And, um, we took it from negative 1 million in profit. Um, and we got it to 6 million in profit one year. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, certainly well qualified when it comes to business ownership, Tom, and what, uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but, uh, for the practicality of our show, of course, we have a lot of listeners who are driving around in a truck listening to this right now. And one yeah. thing that we've seen, and I've personally seen over my years in the trades industry is, uh, that outcome is typically outpacing income <laughs> in not a good way. And uh, unfortunately, there, there seems to be a lack of wisdom when it comes to handling your personal finances. Uh, and I was wondering if we could dive in there a little bit and talk about that. You've been a tech yourself. Brian's been a tech. Um, you've seen these things not only personally, but I'm sure as you've gotten your hand in more and more business ventures, you see what I would say would be a, a a fairly uniform problem across the industry uh, with people who are, who are, you know, perhaps they find great success because of systems and processes that are brought in and they're used to making $50,000 and all of a sudden, boom, they're making a hundred thousand dollars. And like, you know, the wheels fall off financially because they're not, uh, they're not well developed in this area. So as we think about that kind of concept, first of all, do you recognize that as well in your experience, that type of uh, inefficiency when it comes to personal finances? And what have been yeah. some trends or tra uh, trends or kind of um, strategies that you've seen being deployed in different areas? Yeah, I mean, I gotta tell you, neither one of my parents had two nickels to rub together. Both of them had great jobs as engineers. Um, and um, my dad's passed away now, my mom, still alive and she uh she's got a modest retirement and you know from her company and she um i gotta tell you like they just they always spent more than they had and whatever their income was they it just when their income increased their spending increased and that was it and yeah it's just you just do right and the thing is is that i tell people if you want to be greater than the 99% of the population, you want to be that 1%. I'm not talking about 1% earnings. I'm talking about living better than 99% of the people out there. Then you've got to act differently than the other 99%. It's not complicated. 
Like, if, if you're gonna let, if you're not gonna have the self-control on your personal finances, then you'll never have the self-control on a business to make it really, truly worth something. I'm not talking about a, a hustle. I mean, I talked to a guy the other day, he's like, I got 30 million in revenue. I'm like, great, you got a big side hustle. You, you, you're freaking trying to figure out how to like make payroll every, every two weeks. Like, I'm sorry, you got a side hustle. That's what it is. Um, you've got to learn to conquer yourself and get yourself under control and, and keep yourself in line. And then you can start getting other things in line. And the thing is, then you can start affecting other people's lives in a very positive way. At Lee's, we pay for college tuition for every single employee that works there. If, wow. if you're the guy sweeping the floor in the warehouse, I will pay. I got someone going to Stanford right now. I got someone going to Harvard. I got some, like, I'm telling you, like, I don't care. I can, I can pay it, but I can afford it because I don't need to be running around pulling every cent out of that company every month. It's not going to happen. I'm going to invest it. It's going to make more money. And you know what the byproduct of that is? I have a very solid income coming out of that company. And, I and a, lo a loyal employee base, I would imagine. And a loyal employee base as well. And it's going to continue to go that way because it's sustained. But it had to be, you know, the problem that I think a lot of people see, and for you guys driving around the truck, I got to tell you, like you're seeing a lot of these business owners driving around in Ferraris, Lamborghinis, or C8 Corvettes or whatever. And I used to consult for these guys. Most of them don't have two nickels to rub together. I know a guy who was driving a Ferrari that was literally desperately trying to make payroll the next, the next week. And it's like, it is not what you think it is. You got to put all that crap out of your mind about what they, what, what success is and what it looks like and everything else. It's, it's a show. And social media makes it way worse because what you're seeing on social media is a highlight reel of what everyone else is doing. It's like watching Sports Center the next day on all the highlights of what happened the day before. And you and missed it, the greatest day of football in history. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, every play of the game must have been amazing, right? That's a that's a great analogy. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that. Let's cut this out so I can yeah. use that later. And make it <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's everyone else's highlight reel, and and then you're trying to live your life as if every day is the highlight reel. And it's not. There's days when I, I'm running a lot of businesses now where I come home and I think, man, I'm an effing idiot. Like, what was I thinking? You know, and just there's just times where it's just bad. You know, you just you just do dumb things because we're all human and we all screw up. I spend money sometimes and think, why in the world did I spend that? And but the thing is, is that if you learn to control your wages and you start controlling your money, and not letting your money control you. It doesn't mean that you can't spend money. If I wanna buy something nice, I'll buy something nice. But it's gonna be within like what I expect I'm willing to spend and I've got enough money that I can put it away and make it grow. I mean, to some extent. I just went through a divorce, lost most of my, most of my money, but the reality is Ugh. I was able to go through the divorce and afford it and now I have enough that I can still keep going. Um, but it's, it takes discipline. And there is no, there's no, and discipline goes into everything in life. It's not just your money. It's your, your family. It's your children. It's, it's your education. It's everything. Like if you get disciplined and you master yourself, you can master anything. And I think that's the piece that people are missing. So all of the tools in the world that we're about to talk about on the, on the podcast, it's not going to matter if you don't have, if you can't master yourself because 
you have to actually follow them. You have to push yourself to do them. And the thing is, is that then you really get free. You can go and do the cool things and live like no one else and, and do all those things that you've always dreamed of, but you gotta have the discipline first. And by the way, I don't care if you're a business owner, you're a technician, a HVAC technician, a plumber, whatever. If you master yourself, and this is what I see, like I've got some salespeople that have mastered themselves. They go into the house and every time they go through their process, they work their process and they make sure they're doing the things over and over and over again. And they're making, you know, $300,000 a year, $400,000 a year, a million dollars a year. Like, you know, I, I watched Brent Buckley at Fetchatech make over a million dollars a year of personal income. But when he goes, he's got his process and he's doing it every single time and he's mastered it. And he just makes sure that he makes the sale every single time. He just keeps going. And you know, he's got it. And, and once, once you're there, you're there. So, anyway, so let's get real, let's get real practical with this, Tom. I mean, you know, let's say, let's say that, uh, I'm having a little bit of a self-aware moment right here and saying, well, dang Tom, it kind of sounds like you're describing my life right there. And, uh, I am trying to, you know, live way outside of my means and, uh, you know, I'm doing it for the show. I'm doing it for the whatever, my girlfriend, my, my friends, my parents, I don't care. It doesn't really matter myself. My history. You don't care about and don't even know, but you feel like you need to prove it to them too. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I'm doing that. Like, where do I even start? You know, do I, do I need to make more money or do I need to save more money? What, what do I do if I'm in that situation where I'm realizing like, well, I'm overextended here. Yeah. And I think, just so you know, like I used to teach a class to my employees about personal finance and we would get into, we'd start with the basics of budgeting and things. By the way, budgets is not about just like spending less. Like you said, it could be making more. It could be just living within your means, whatever. There, there's a lot of things going on in budgets, but then we had to get into advanced stuff. Like I'm teaching them about mutual funds and uh, bond funds and stock options and you know, all the different things they could do and the difference between IRAs and 401ks and everything else. And um, they would bring their wives in and husbands and whatever, just, uh, I was like, fine, just bring it into the company. So like, cause I want my employees to be financially secure. Cause then they have, it, it's much harder at that point for a competitor to come in and offer 50 cents more an hour than they have to take it. Cause they just need every dollar they can get. Right. They have to go sit in some crappy culture, you know, because they needed extra 50 cents an hour, a dollar an hour, whatever it is. Um, so that's the, I, I look in and start looking like, okay, I need some financial training. If, now, if, if you're willing, and now this is the hard part, if you're willing to start mastering yourself and say, okay, I don't care about all the, the you know, flashy garbage and proving myself on Instagram and Facebook, um, I'm just gonna go out and I really wanna do this right. One of the classes I would take is, especially now I, I recommend it to my employees since I'm not teaching any classes. Um, it's kind of controversial, but Dave Ramsey, I think is a, a good place to start. Um, why, do you, why do you say it's controversial? Is it, you mean the... Uh there's, there's some no stuff debt, that no debt is good debt type mindset. Yeah. 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 Um, there's some stuff when you start owning a business, um, I've got debt on my businesses, um, uh, mostly just trucks. Um, and it's because I use the tax code to my advantage section 179 bonus depreciation is like my best friend, but debt is like debt can be like a nuclear bomb. You know, you got to know what you're doing. It's highly effective in the right hands and very dangerous in the wrong hands. Very, very, very dangerous. And so most people, I tell people, if, if you're an addict, you know, if you're an alcoholic, right? You can't go sit in a bar and say, I'm just gonna hang out here in the bar. It's okay, I'm not gonna, 
I'm not going to use alcohol irresponsibly. I'm only going to have a sip or whatever. Alcoholics can't do that. If you're a debtaholic and you're a spendaholic, you can't go and say, I'm just going to have a little bit of credit card debt or I'm going to have a little bit of whatever. <laughs> it can happen. And people say, well, I'm not a credit card. I'm not a debtaholic. Really? Have you ever carried a balance on a credit card? Yes. Okay. Shut it down. You are a debtaholic. You are paying a bank 20% freaking interest on, on money. You have a problem. And, and the sooner you admit it to yourself and get off that crap, like I'm telling you, I don't know a single successful person that carries credit card debt. Not one. Credit card debt is what very, very, very rich corporations use to get you to pay them 20% interest. I can guarantee you the executives at those corporations do not have it. It's stupid. Paying 20, 25% interest on, on credit cards, it, it hurts my heart. Like I'm talking to these people like, gosh, you are in slavery. Slavery. You've sold yourself into slavery for an Xbox. I'm sorry. That's what happened. You need to get out of that. You need to not be around it. I don't even want to talk to you about what, what is good debt. We're not even gonna, we're not even gonna get down that road. Like you need to get out of it, run away from it and, and stop paying some corporation a bunch of money for nothing. My, my brother literally bought an Xbox at Best Buy and he ended up, because he borrowed it on a card, he ended up paying $3,000 for his Xbox when I calculated. He's making minimum pay, I'm like, dude, this is insane. Like don't do that. Now. There's different times where we're selling a, a customer an air conditioner for, you know, 15 grand and it's a high efficiency air conditioner and the payment on the air conditioner is going to be 200 bucks a month, but they're paying their utility company more than $200 more than they would have to pay just because they have an inefficient unit. It might make sense at that point to just get the financing, buy yourself a high efficiency air conditioner because you'd rather be paying it to pay off your system than paying it to an electric company every month where it just goes into burns it. There's times where it makes sense, but credit cards, it just doesn't. I use credit cards all the time. I never carry a balance. It's paid off every month. I make tens of thousands of dollars a month in credit card kickbacks and 2% cash back stuff or whatever from, you know, various credit card companies. Um, most of it goes to my businesses and things and helps grow my businesses, but it's great. Well, hold on. You listener, you're not going to do that. So forget, <laughs> you know, scrub, let's hit them with the men in black flashy thing real quick. Yeah. Pretend you didn't even hear that because that's not you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I see people, they're like, Oh, I want, I want more points on my card. I want, I want airline miles. I calculated out what the airline miles are. Like it's 0.77%, at least on the card I was on. And they're literally paying 25% interest carrying debt because they want to get 0.77% back on the initial purchase. Yeah, it's the perpetuity. It's it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Everybody plans on pay, on paying that off before any interest hits, but if if anything happens where you come up short, that's the first thing that's gonna make gonna get minimum yeah. payments. So don't even have that as an option. Yeah, I would I would get rid of them. I, I wouldn't even touch them. I just never in my life have I ever carried it because you know the the numbers to me is just it's just appalling. You know. It makes you want to throw up thinking about the fact that like some people are paying $10,000 a year in credit card interest. They just have no idea. Um, and it's, it's pretty easy to do that. If you got 20% interest, you know, and you're carrying 50 grand of credit card debt, that's 10,000 bucks a year. 
Just- we actually, uh, we had George Camel on from Ramsey Solutions. Uh, it's been a minute, but that was back in August 16th of 2021. And he went through all seven of the baby steps. So it was a great episode. One that we would yeah. highly recommend, especially at the beginning of the year, if you're finding yourself in an overextension of your income, or if you're looking ahead and saying, you know what, it would sure be nice to actually get ahead in life as opposed to living paycheck to paycheck all the time and actually have some savings. So highly recommend that episode. Yeah, this is great. I really, I used to listen to Dave Ramsey all the time. Um, and so especially for people trying to get out of debt and get control of their life and everything else, highly, I highly, highly recommend it. So speaking of debt, Tom, I mean, uh, let's shift gears here a little bit towards the business side. You know, there are some people who believe businesses should should operate debt free and they should only you know grow within their means. And there's other people who use debt to the most maximum advantage that they can uh, and risk it all, you know, to see their business go up or to go down. Where do you fall on that scale? Um, when we talk about debt, we call it leverage when we're you know, speaking in finance terms. And the thing is, is that um, leverage works both ways. So if you wanna grow your money really quickly, um, one of the ways is to leverage it and borrow on your money um, and use, use whatever you have as collateral. Because, um, I mean, if I need to and I wanna start a $10 million shop, I would go get four or five trucks right away. I'd borrow all that and um, start hustling, get people going and grow it. But that's how I take a company when I only got like, let's say I have $20,000 in working capital to get started. Um, by the way, working capital is like the cash you have up front to like get going, pay bills, whatever else. Um, if I wanna turn that $20,000 into 5 million in a year or two years, um, I'm gonna have to use a lot of leverage. Um, and it's just like a lever, a lever, you know, when you, every tech on here knows, you know, if you wanna, you know, twist a nut off of something, and you get a big pry bar on it, you use a lever and just pull on it. You can, you can get a lot more force out of the same, um, your same arms that you have, right? Um, and unfortunately leverage works the other way too, where if things go sideways, it'll throw you the other direction. So like I said, debt can be very, very, very effective in the right hands but it's gotta be in the right hands. You really gotta know what you're doing. Um, additionally, when leverage happens, you're also talking about risk. So when they say high reward, high risk, it's absolutely true. And so if you wanna go from that zero to $5 million in a couple of years, great, but there's high risk because it can throw you the other way. Now, as I've gotten more used to um, running a business and getting stronger with it and understanding what I was doing, um, I got more and more willing to take those risks, um, knowing what my skill sets were. When I was first in business, I tried to operate with no debt. But the reality is when I first bought my air conditioning company, the previous owner carried the debt. I had several hundred thousand dollars of debt on me that I had to pay off. And so did it work out for me? Yeah. Yeah. I've got cash in the bank. Um, my money makes money for me now. I've got lots of businesses that run themselves. That's cool. Um, so I can't say that I would never use it. I just think that like, you need to avoid it unless you really know what you're doing. And if you haven't been through this before, and I'm not saying you have to have a college education. Most people that have college educations don't know how to use debt anyway. Um, most people that went to school for finance, like I did have no idea how to use debt. 
Um, but you can get it through books, you can get it through other trainings, other things. But it's, it's I mean, hey, like, I don't know, knives are very effective for cutting food and making dinner, but you don't give a knife to a two-year-old. And you gotta really look introspectively and say, hey, like, when it comes to handling debt, am I a two-year-old? Just be honest with yourself. And if it's yes, don't touch the knife. Like, <laughs> just don't, right? Like, there's other ways of handling it, other ways of making dinner. Um, and uh, stay away from it. So, yeah, and it's funny that funny that we just went full circle from Dave Ramsey to Robert Kiyosaki, and in <laughs> <laughs> and, and a six minute conversation, couldn't be on yeah. more opposite ends of that spectrum. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's true, and even then, I still get very nervous. Like, I know how to calculate my debt to income ratios. I know how to look at my return on assets. I know how to look at all that stuff, and say, okay, like where am I getting out of line and when is it too much? And, and I can calculate the risk. Most people don't even know how to calculate the risk that they're taking and what their worst outcomes are. But I was a, you know, fixed income securities analyst before I got into this and I would stress test different scenarios of like what would happen if this happened or that happened. And so I can, I do that in my daily life. Now I figure out what is the worst case scenario, what's going to happen. And, um, I still take a much more conservative approach than people take. I, ha I think I have on my businesses, they're probably worth, I don't know, hundred million right now. I probably have uh, total, well, no, if I put both of them together, it's over 200 million. I probably have seven or 8 million in debt combined with all of my different partners and stuff. So we're talking about this much. It's really just trucks and a couple of companies I bought, maybe two or 3 million still left on companies that I'm buying out. Um, but it's, I mean, we're talking about seven, 8 million bucks on 200, $220 million company valuation. Whereas some companies spend 20, 30, 40, 50 million to get to that 200 million valuation and your debt service at that point becomes very difficult, very difficult. Yeah. Wise words there, Tom, and certainly something to be considered. And I imagine there's a certain level of personal preference and uh, willingness, you know, to be risk adverse or, or risk, you know, pro risk, I, I should say. Uh, and that's something that everybody who is either, well, personally or in business needs to figure out what their level of comfortability is there. And some might say that regardless of debt or of risk, that the strength of every good company lies within their budget and the plan that is on the budget. So I want to shift gears and talk about that for a little bit, because obviously you've run small companies, you've run large companies and some companies in between. And so what if, let, let's just start at the, the basics here. What have been some of the things that you've learned over all of your years and all of your different experiences when it comes to budget? Is it really that important that that's the strength of a business? Or is it one of those things that like, hey, just as long as you have something on paper, we're good? No, I mean, it's gotta be a real thing and it's gotta be something that people actually look at and pay attention to and live by. And the reason is, is that it's not about, like I said, it's not about like just cutting your costs. Like that's not, most of my budgets are about how much money can we spend? Like that's not how much can we cut? Um, and so when I'm building my budget throughout the year, I'm starting with my top line revenue. I'm saying, look, this is how much I forecast that we can make do in revenue. If I'm doing that, like how much, how much is it going to cost me to generate the phone calls that I need in order to generate the revenue that I want? And so that'll tell me how much I have to spend in marketing. And then 
down below that, I'm like, okay, if that's the case, um, well, also it's gonna tell me exactly if I do this much in revenue, then how much is my labor gonna be? How much is my materials gonna be? That kind of thing, so I'll know about what's coming. Um, and then below that, I'm gonna look at like all the other things, like is my office big enough? Do I have enough trucks, whatever? So all my overhead's gonna be below that. Once I have that in place, I'm gonna start looking at like, okay, you gotta have this for if you're growing because you have to know, okay, in July when it's 110 outside, I own an air conditioning company, I need to hit like this year, I think we're gonna hit like six and a half or seven million of revenue in Fresno in, in July. It's like, well, how many technicians do I need? How many installers do I need? How many customer service representatives do I need? All that stuff is planned out ahead of time. Why? Because I can't hit July when it's 110. Every tech on this call knows as soon as it gets busy, you can't just decide you're gonna hire a bunch more techs and then onboard them and everything else. It's gonna take them several months to get in place. So you better figure out if you need them in July, they better be hired by the end of March and they gotta be in place. Right. The only thing telling me to do that is my budget. And so the thing that's allowed me to grow that company at that level with, without me being there, I, I live in Las Vegas. My, all my companies, most of my companies are in California right now. They have their own general managers running the show, but the general managers each have their budget and they're looking at the budget, trying to figure out like, okay, how many people am I gonna have to hire? You know, how many trucks am I gonna need to have? How do I get from point A to point Z? You know, like, um, how do we get there? And we do a pretty good job of hitting that goal each year, um, especially on the revenue side, like, cause we know what we need. Um, on the bottom line side, it gets iffy sometimes. Sometimes we get um, price changes that we didn't expect and then we've got to um, recalibrate throughout the year. But even then, throughout the year, if you get a change that's unexpected, call volume goes down, maybe the um, manufacturer decides to do a price increase you weren't expecting, like a couple of years ago during COVID, all of a sudden we get price increases every two months. It just got crazy. Um, but your budget will tell you if it's getting crazy and that you need to recalibrate. Instead, and so I find out in May, June, July, most people don't find out until they go to pay their taxes in December and find out they lost money. And it's just like, you could have made changes six months ago to counteract this and get your back on track to get to where you need to be. A budget's kind of like, it's like driving a car. People that drive run businesses without a budget, it's like driving a Ferrari with no windshield, like you can't see out the windshield, it's covered up, having no gauges or anything else. All you know is that when you push on the accelerator, you go real fast and you get really excited. Man, we're, 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 we're humming along, we're, we're going, we're going great, look at all these jobs coming in. You can feel it, but you don't know if you need to stop, make a turn. You don't need if you need to slow down, speed up. You don't know if you have enough gas in the tank. You don't, you don't know. You've got no budget, you have no idea. You're just, you're just going fast. You could be hitting a brick wall and it happens all the time, all the time. I've seen companies making 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year in revenue and losing money. And it's, it's way more common than you think. That's why I tell you, don't pay attention to those, you know, Facebook profiles, Instagram feeds, whatever, like, and they're showing up in their, you know, Ferraris or whatever, thinking they're cool. Some of them legitimately make money. A lot of them don't. So Tom, do you view the budget as a thermometer or as a thermostat? Um, I think I view it like a car. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you should be, your, your financials are your thermometer, right? Like 
you really your budget really needs to be a lot more like the thermostat. Um, it, it's you got to know which levers to pull and uh, what you should be doing throughout the year to, to be hitting where you need to get to. Um, and you know, do you need to be downshifting? Do you need to be accelerating? Like what's going on? Like, where are you? And that's what a real budget is for personal finance for, you know, or sorry for business finance for personal finance is a little different. Cause sometimes a lot of people have like kind of fixed incomes, like their incomes relatively level. And so then it's just about cost cutting and stuff like that, which I, I really don't like those. Like on those ones, I've, I've got money set aside that's coming in that I can spend and the rest of it, I take off and put into separate accounts. Dave Ramsey calls it the envelope method. I actually did the envelope method when I was a kid. Yep. Um, when I was first in the trades, that's how I was setting money off to the side. I went on a two year mission for my church. It cost me $10,000. I did nothing but serve out there. I wasn't screwing around or having fun or anything, but I paid for that out of my sweeping floors and cleaning trucks for uh, like three years before I went. And yeah. uh, it was Dave Ramsey envelope method that really helped me out. I don't even think I listened to Dave Ramsey back then. I just got the envelopes and put the cash in the envelopes that you know I, I needed off to the side. Um, but yeah, I I would highly recommend on the personal side, you know, having a budget. Definitely on the business side, you, you have to. Like it's just it's the way you run your business. It's it and the crazy thing is, it makes you happier when you're a business owner. There's no boss to come tell you you're doing a good job. No one pats you on the back and says, congratulations, you outperformed this month. But your budget does. There's no one else to do it. But you'll know, hey, we lost 100 grand this month. Oh, wow, we should have lost 300 based on the budget because this is our off season. Now you know you're doing well instead of beating yourself up all the time. Or when you're making money, did you, did you make enough money? Because in my on season in California, I only got like four or five months of like making money, really of really like, you, you gotta, you know, in the summer, you just gotta slay it, you know, and then try to lose as little as possible in the off season, make it, make money here and there if you can. Um, but did I make enough money in my summer months? Am I, you know, is a million dollars a month in profit good? I don't know. If you're losing more than that in the off season, then no, it's not good. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, like, um, and so, it happened this last August. We we made great profit in August, at least what looks great. And I looked at the budget and I was like, well, we're way short of budget. And that's when the alarm bells went off and said, hey, we got to fix something because the off season's coming and we're not making as much as we thought we did, which means something's going on. And now all of a sudden, by the end of September, everyone's freaking out because the economy sucks and everything's down and blah, blah. I'm like, guys, you should have known in August. It, it happened in July and August. But because your air conditioning companies and you're fat and happy, you had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that absolutely can happen. And it's amazing how fast the slide can happen. And I'm sure you've experienced that a time or two, Tom, and, and everybody else has, especially in you know 23 and 24, there's been a lot of changes going on. Um, and as we consider like, you know, what those changes are and how they're impacting things and the economy and, you know, the, the, the higher interest rates and the difficulty getting financial approvals and all these things that are going on, how how does one account for forecasting in their budget when perhaps there is nothing to base it off of? Like if if you started your trade business, say in the last uh, ten years, you know I would say there's been fairly stable economies. There's been fairly decent growth. You know interest rates were low, and and one could say that there was a slow but steady gain of all things business. 
And then all of a sudden, 2023 hits and we're, well, actually, let me back up. 2020 hits and the first half of 2020, super weird. The second half of 2020 and the in-home services, just explosion, followed by explosion in 21 and explosion in 22. And then all of a sudden, 23, you know, a cliff or at least something completely different. If we've never seen this before, you know, we're, we're newer or, you know, at least in the last 10 years, I would say, and we've never seen something like this before. How do we accurately forecast for what we don't know? Yeah. Um, what I tell people in these situations is, and I tell the same thing to people that have, you know, brand new businesses, so they don't have historical data to go off of, is the less data you have and less certainty you have, the more conservative you need to play. So, um, if you get into levels of uncertainty, like right now, you probably, you know, a lot of people got whacked in the end of 2023. Um, you need to start thinking like, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm still in business? I'm still making a profit, that kind of thing. Like maybe I need to tone it down a little bit. You know, maybe I need to, I did 4 million, 5 million in revenue last year. What does it look like if I do three? Cause I'm pretty confident I can do three. And then you need to build that month by month budget. And if you start outperforming that budget, you can always adjust later and start um, adjusting your income numbers and maybe start hiring again. Um, we had a rough 20, uh, September and October, but we, we went in in August knowing that it was gonna be bad. We had a meeting on August 4th, say, hey, we gotta, we gotta fix something right now, which was scary because we just gone through a great July. We're going into August, things are looking good, but they're not as good as they should. July actually wasn't as good as it should have been. And so we knew that the fall was going to be rough. And so we started making decisions in August. And now our counterparts didn't make those decisions until like late September, October. You know, a lot of them don't even get their financials for September until into November. So they don't even know that how bad they got hit till November happens. And now they're going back and freaking out. Well, we started making changes in August. Uh, we still got whacked in September. Uh, we got whacked less in October and by November we had our best November on record. And by December we had our best month on company record ever. When you say best, do you mean top line, bottom line? Uh, bottom line profit was the okay. best ever. So not our best top line. Cause I mean, there's summer months that just top line killed it, but our profitability percentage on the bottom line was the best we'd ever had. Um, or sorry, the, the best we ever had in December for the bottom line was the best. Um, and we went from having one of our worst months on record ever in September to our, one of our best in December. And so it's, um, it's something that I tell people, it's like, okay, get conservative, figure out what you gotta do, but then also start thinking outside the box. I hate it. Like good business owners and good leaders never tell me what happened to them. This happened to me, that happened to me, the economy happened, you know, the, somebody sued me, blah, 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 blah. Like good leaders and good business owners, things don't happen to them. They happen to things. We sat around and we said in that meeting, there's a silent recession coming. I can show you what's happening. I can show you the data. I know it for sure. Like what happened really was a pullback, right? We had $2 trillion dumped into the economy in 2020, 2021. We had all kinds of money flowing through. We had a bunch of people going to work from home. So now all of a sudden they have to fix all these things in their houses that we, they never had to fix before. Maybe they're doing their bathroom upgrade or they're, they're at an office on because now they want to work from home, everything else. Tons and tons of work just flowing. 
And so, you know, some of these big banks did a couple of studies and they found there was supposed to be 6 million compressors manufactured per year in uh, 2021, 2022. That's just the normal. It was actually 9 million for two years in a row. Wow. 50% increase in compressor manufacturing. And it's typically one for you plumbers out there. It's one compressor per air conditioner, roughly. Not <laughs> all, but close enough. Um, and so we know that there's like 50% more Thank volume. You for that, Tom. Yeah, fifty percent more volume than you expected, and so it's a pull forward work. The work that would have been done now was done two years ago or a year ago, and so they're saying it's probably not going to get done until the end of twenty twenty five. And so I told them on the on the meeting, I said, "Look, like there's a recession coming, but we choose not to participate in the recession. I do not want to hear one word about what's going on in the economy. If I want an economist, I would hire one. Okay, I don't. I have." the news. I can watch the weatherman in the mornings. I don't need to hear about the weather. I don't need you to pay you to be a weatherman. I don't need to pay you to be, you know, my economist. What we're going to do is we're going to find out what's going on in the economy. And then we're going to figure out what we're going to do to make changes to that. And, and what we're going to do to succeed. So if it means our outbound calling has to change, let's change our outbound calling. Let's change the outbound calling script. Let's make it happen. One of the people in my office just made that happen. It just changed the ball game. We have 20% less inbound calls right now, and we have like 15, 20, 30% more jobs. Simple as that. Why? Outbound calling. We increased our call booking rate. We changed some of the offers that we're offering. We changed the financing plans that we had, and we got going. I hate it when I hear these business owners, oh man, yeah, we had a rough year because the economy, the weather, the blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear about, it's just excuses. I, you know, I, I'm not going to go home and tell my kids like, sorry kids, we can't eat today because the weather, just the weather wasn't good, couldn't make any money. The reality is, look at the crackheads on the side of the street begging for money. Do they ever wake up in the day and say, well, the economy's down, guess I'm not going to have crack today. <laughs> you can keep this analogy, buddy. <laughs> yeah, they figure it out. So why are you letting a crackhead out hustle you? The crackhead always figures out how to get cracked. That's reality. Figure out if, if, if are, are you, are you going to literally let this stuff happen to you? Are you going to sit down and be like, oh my gosh, this happened to me. Are you going to be a victim? When the crackhead is out, out, out working you today? Like, oh my gosh. He'll go beg for money on the corner. He'll, he'll go find it. He's going to get the crack. Like, that's what happens. Like, You've got to get to the point where you're addicted to performance. You're going to perform whatever it takes. Okay. Like you're going to make it happen. You're going to make sure your family's taken care of. You're going to make sure everything's in order and it does not matter. You got to have, I mean, unfortunately you got to have the mentality of a crackhead. Look like I'm going to make this happen no matter what. And things don't happen to me. I happen to things. Okay. I make decisions. When I had my first company, people don't know this. I got my first company. I was the president of Lee's Air during the day. By that point, we are like $2 million in revenue. Um, I was driving a tractor at night for $10 an hour. And I was wow. up until 4 in the morning driving that tractor, and I'd sleep for 4 or 5 hours and get up and run back to work. And Well, I get done at 2 a.m. I get home by like 2.30 or 3. I have to wake up by like 7 and get to the office by 7.30 and like just try to work through the rest of the day. And I had to do that for a while. Because I was come hell or high water, I was going to succeed. And I look back at it then, and I wasn't doing it to be able to tell everybody on a podcast later on. I was just doing it to make sure I had money at the end of the month to pay for the bills. Like, 
You've got to decide. And, and so I see people now, oh, you're so lucky, man. You're so fortunate, blah, blah. Sure, I am. There's a lot of things that make me lucky. I was born in the United States. I was born to two parents that, you know, told me that I had to get an education and I had to work hard. I, I, you know, you want to tell me about white privilege? That's fine. We're all privileged in some way. Uh, do I have white privilege? Yes. The most, you know, if you look at the people that have, there's all different races that have great privilege in the United States. Um, it's just whatever you got. And certain ones you're going to have, you know, you could have a busted leg. I'm sitting here as a 40 year old white man talking to you about like making money. That's fine. I do have privileges, but there's a lot of other 40 year old white men that aren't doing it either. Right. You've got to decide whatever you are in, in your situation. And I don't care. That's why I have tons of respect. If I've got somebody who, um, you know, their family was, had addiction issues with cocaine or alcohol or other substance abuse issues, and they had no money growing up and they had no education, everything else. And they get out there and I don't care if they're making a lemonade stand and they're making it happen and, and earning the money that they can and, and living by a budget and putting money aside, everything else. I know someone right now who I respect amazingly well. She's a hairdresser. She's got three kids, no child support, no alimony, no nothing else. And she's making it happen as a hairdresser and hats off to her. Like it doesn't matter what I don't want to hear about privilege. Yes. Did it help me get to where I'm at? Absolutely. But I could have sat there and been like, Oh, well the weather, you know, the weather this season is bad. And so it sucked like our summer sucked and that's why we didn't make any money. You could have spent three grand on a PlayStation or an Xbox. I could have spent three grand on a PlayStation. <laughs> like there's just a lot of things that we can do. Whatever you're at, Look at where you're, don't compete with other people. It doesn't like, cause then you're, it, it, you, you don't know. They could have inherited freaking $10 million from their grandpa, right? Like you don't know. Just compete against yourself and where you're at right now and look at where you want to be and be like, okay, I don't settle for this. I remember growing up as a kid, like I was always doing the bare minimum in school and that kind of stuff. Um, I did pretty well in school because it just, it came pretty well to me. Um, but I hated doing homework. I hated doing that stuff. I hated all that stuff. And I finally just decided I came home from Hungary. I'd spent my mission there and for two years and I got home and I got this mentality, like I'm tired of settling. Like I'm tired of like kind of getting by. And there's actually, there's a song by Sugarland called settling. And it's a, her, her talk singing. It's some gal singing about a guy, right? Like, so it's, most would think it's not applicable to me, but the reality is I, it, it connected with me and it says, come on, buddy, you're, you're going to have to give us settle in. <laughs> Let's hear it. Hey, come on. I've had enough. So, so for the rest <laughs> of my life, um, I'm tired of shooting too low. So raise the bar high. I'm not settling. And, um, I would literally play that song to myself every day. Come I actually went to community college at first. I went to Brigham Young university later, but, um, every day coming home from community college, I'd listen to it. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to do the best I can. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to hit it. Like, this is it. I was working at Lee's actually, I, I didn't own it yet. I was working there in the back office. I was going to school in the evenings and, um, I got a 4.0 grade point average. I'd already been rejected from BYU at that point. Um, but then I reapplied after I got my, uh, associate's degree. They gave me a full ride scholarship to go because I had based on academics, I got in, got in the number five finance school in the country at that time. Um, went to finance school, got through it. And the reality is because it was like a switch that went off. It's just, I'm tired, sick and tired of this. Like I'm sick and tired of my life being like kind of mediocre. I'm sick and tired of like just settling, you know, I, I just, I, I'm not like the song says, I'm settling. I'm not settling. 
I'm not selling for just getting by. I've had enough so-so for the rest of my life. You know, I'm tired of shooting too low, so raise the bar high. I'm not settling. And it's just like, you know, just decided. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna buy a nice car and put rims on it. I'm not gonna do all that garbage. Like, I'm gonna do things that matter. And, you know, and, 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 then, and then if you wanna buy the car with rims, great. Like, you know, I can afford some rims right now. I promise you, it's not a big deal. I choose not to now, because I just don't care. But, you know, you can do that later. But if you get the self-control now and just decide like, hey, I'm just, I'm just sick of it. And I have great respect because I know you could be somewhere on that line. I, when I, I, I hated it when people would, you know, look down on me because I was like really hustling, trying hard when I was at 1.6 million in sales, right? But everyone's got to be there sometimes. I have great respect for the person that takes everything and risks it all trying to start up a business. I don't care if you're 200 grand in revenue, 100 grand in revenue, 50 grand in revenue. I don't care. You're trying. Congratulations. Like you're making it happen. Massive respect for you. Go after it. Don't settle though. Don't sit back and talk about how, oh, this happened and that happened and whatever and I'm not gonna be able to make money and I'm just in, I'm in roofing or I'm in plumbing or there's not a lot of money in this industry. My town isn't good enough. My location isn't good enough. Like you've gotta make decisions that make it good enough. Right, like you're gonna get there and just decide like no excuses, BS aside, I'm going for it. Tom, so many good things to talk about there, man. And man, the, the time's just flying by here. As we're bringing things in for a landing, I wanna talk about the difference between instant gratification and delayed gratification because so much of what you're talking <clears throat> about there lies within those two principles. And so, you know, speak to the tech, speak to the owners about which, which of those mindsets they should have and if you're in the wrong one, how to get to the other one. Yeah. I mean, it's really, when you're talking about delayed gratification, it's this great story about the marshmallows, which you guys have probably heard a bunch of times, but um, they took a bunch of kids or in kindergarten. They sat them down at a table and put a marshmallow in front of them and said, if you want to eat the marshmallow, you can. But if you don't eat the marshmallow, in five minutes, we'll give you a second marshmallow. And then they did another study where they kept exponentially growing the marshmallows depending on how long they waited. And they tracked those kids for like 20 years. And they found that the ones that had the longest delay, that could wait the longest to let their marshmallows grow, were the most successful in life. Makes sense. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. Now, there's a bunch of other studies done about how you can actually change yourself. So if you were into instant gratification before and just want to eat the marshmallow right away, and so you're not letting your marshmallows grow, um, how you can get yourself to the point where you can, you know, uh, start delaying gratification later. Um, and the thing is, is what it comes down to is just self-control. Like we talked about in the early, in the beginning of this podcast is like, if you can control yourself and master yourself, you can master anything. And that's the thing you got to focus on the most. And so I talked to a lot of people. It's like, why do you want to buy that? Well, you know, what it comes down to is they're trying to like, look cool, feel good. Like they get this dopamine rush when they buy it. Um, and that's what you got to get away from. Like when it gets to the point where it's like, I do not care what these people think about me. And the funny thing is, is most people, when you're posting on Facebook and Instagram, it's literally you're posting for thousands of people that you've never actually even met. You're, you're literally trying to make people happy that, that you don't even know, that you don't even care about, that you, like you shouldn't care about. Um, and so when we talk about that too, like I said, if you delay it, you can have a lot more later. You know, I, I choose not to have a Ferrari, but like I, a lot of my buddies do, and there's nothing wrong with that. They have the money set aside, they can afford to do it, they, they can buy it, and you can have those things in life. This is not about saying you should never have them. 
It's about if you try to buy the Ferrari now and you get a lease and all of a sudden you got all this debt over your head and you're trying to pay for that, you'll never get to the point where you can just afford it and buy it. But if you can wait for it, you can always buy it if you want. You can have the nice house. The house thing is something I like. I, I, I bought a 10,000 square foot house here in Vegas. I love it. I wanted to have something that my, my family can come over and have big you know, get togethers and all that other stuff. And my mother's flying in next week and I got a great spot for her in the house. It's just something I want. And, and I don't need to have it. I didn't, I didn't buy it early on. My first house was $155,000 and I still have it to this day. It's a rental property. And you know, it was within our means and we really pushed for it. And I didn't do that. I don't think I bought that house until I was like 26, 27. It was about the time I was buying my first company. And it was just like, you know, it was, it was, inexpensive and 155,000 bucks and in California. So that tells you like, that's really cheap there. <laughs> and, but now I can afford something bigger and that's okay. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having those things. It's just, the nice thing is too, is that when you get to the point where you can not care about what other people think about you and not do it for other people, but do it for yourself, then you're much more control later in control later when you have the money you're not going to blow it on dumb things that you, you really don't want. You just want to do it for other people because you've already mastered yourself. If you really want it internally, like fine, go get it. But you can control that at that point. And other people don't have power over you at that point. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the good book says that the, <clears throat> the, uh, borrower is slave to the lender. And, you know, there's so much wisdom there when it, when it, when you think about that in all the different ways, whether it's credit card or whether it's, you know, leases or whatever else, uh, anytime you enter into that, you, you're entering into a, a type of indentured servanthood, right? Yeah. Tom, this has been so good today, man. And if people are interested in learning more about you, about your companies, you know, about all these things that you've been talking about today, is there a good place to find you? Yeah, actually just email me at T Howard at servicetitan.com. I have an executive assistant that opens them all and forces me to read them. Um, and uh, <laughs> T as in Tom. So T Howard, H O W A R D at servicetitan.com. And um, yeah, just email me there and uh, I can get your emails and um, help out in any way I can. Great. We appreciate that. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. Take us out on a high note here, Tom. You know, there's been a lot of doom and gloom that we've been dealing with here, you know, in the trades. And, you know, I don't know that 2024 is going to see the end of that, so to speak. So give us some hope in terms of what, what you think financial freedom can look like and what we can be expecting for. And, you know, where's the place that we can focus on and say like, Hey, you know, here's the silver lining behind this cloud. Yeah, I think, the beauty of this is, is that, and we saw it during the, and during COVID, you're all working in an industry that's necessary. <laughs> the bottom line is, is people, we're living in a society that needs toilets. They need air conditioning, heating, um, they need electricity, um, and they're going to pay for it. Um, they might be paying less or they might be not going out and doing as many of those things, but what that means is if there's 1700 companies in Las Vegas that are fighting, if I still had a company here, which I don't, but like if I did, it's like, okay, I need to be better than half of those companies to make sure that I'm there. So just focus on what you got to do to get through it. The thing is, as Warren Buffett said, you never know who's swimming without their trunks on until the tide goes out. <laughs> and we're starting to see who's swimming without their trunks on right now. Right. And so build mm -hmm. your company strong and work within that 
and make sure you've got your I's dotted and your T's crossed. And the thing is, is that if you're a business owner on this thing, this is the best time. I had Dave Geiger from Horizon told me one of the best things I ever heard. He said, look, Tom, I don't know why you're so worried about recessions and all this other stuff. This is like 10 years ago I was talking about it. He said, I make the most money during these pullbacks. And I said, really, why? He said, look, like you see who's swimming without their trunks on, then they need to sell their businesses really quickly. Maybe you're a tech on this call that wants to go out and buy, you know, go out on their own. This is the time where now, you know, two years ago, you couldn't even buy a truck because Ford didn't have them. There's supply chain issues. I can guarantee you by the end of this year, there's gonna be a lot of trucks available, used trucks that are cheap, that you can pick up for pennies on the dollar. Um, there's gonna be a lot of companies going out of business. You might be able to pick up a company, maybe. You might be able to finance it with, with the previous owner, who knows? But you can get, there's gonna be opportunities showing up all the time. <clears throat> you just gotta keep your eyes out for them. This is the time to get excited about finding those opportunities and making something happen. I, I get, I'm, I'm super pumped. Um, we, we had a couple of great months in profitability. I can use that profit to go buy another business. I don't care, like I'm excited. So yeah, this, this I'm, I'm gonna see, I hope to see 2024 be one of our best years ever. Love it. I'm ordering my have the uh, mindset of a crack crackhead t-shirt right now. So <laughs> to that. Yeah, when can we look forward to the book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. You guys mentioned the good book earlier. I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't probably shouldn't be doing the, the crackhead thing. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> hey, Tom Howard, true. thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome to have you on. We'd love to have you back sometime, but we appreciate the uh, time, energy and effort you gave to our show today. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great to have you on, buddy. I hope we, we uh, run into each other again here real soon. And we'd love to have you back on like toward the end of the year and, and do something similar to this. Okay. Sounds great. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Tom. And that's a wrap for this podcast. We hope that you enjoyed your time with Tom Howard. I know I did. Uh, what a great way to start off kind of the beginning months and weeks of uh, 2024 uh, with some hope there and some encouragement for some of you who perhaps are living in an overextended or debt riddled type of financial situation, not only on a personal level, but in a business level, there is opportunity to change your stars there and change your outcome as well with it. And so we encourage you, if it's on the personal side, check out resources like Dave Ramsey or other budgeting uh, softwares or consulting firms. If it's on the business side, you know, maybe hit up Tom. He might have some great advice for you. Uh, and as we heard from him right there, you know, a budget is so important to success within a business. And so if you've been having trouble setting up a budget or it hasn't been a priority for you, make sure that you're making the change there in 2024. Hope that you enjoyed the episode. We'll love to hear from Tom again sometime in the future. But until now, we're going to leave you with our weekly challenge, which is to choose to wake up every single morning and waste no day. 